0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line from the Washington Post, Ben Goliver. What's up, man?
1: Not too much, Andrew. Look, first things first, I just want to apologize to the Open Floor Globe. My voice is shot. I've got allergies back up in the nasal, <laughs> nasal cavity. Living so the struggle. We're going to do our best to get through this uh, podcast. But second thing second. I understand it's all-star selection time, right? Like, everyone's going to do the nine-hour podcast and the 6,000-word columns, uh, breaking down the picks. Is that right?
0: It is. Tis the season for those
1: really long tweets where you list every player on both rosters. Well, here's the great news, Andrew. You know, the last couple of years, long-time listeners of the Open Floor Globe They'll remember how excited we were when we got fully verified votes. You remember that we went <laughs> back and forth, we teased each other. But Andrew, I've got some uh, some bad news for you. Uh, what's that? I have actually ascended a higher mount. My horse has put on. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> my horse has put on booster shoes. I yep. am now springing through uh, the world uh, on the Washington Post high horse. I had to politely decline voting this year because the Washington Post has ethical problems with casting votes in these kinds of situations based on the fact that, you know, we cover the league uh, objectively. So, so captain
0: accountability is now captain integrity. That's what you're telling me.
1: A hundred percent. (laughs) And frankly, this is going to sound weird given that, that uh, moniker you just gave me, but I kind of have to get my OJ Simpson on here. This is like if I was going to cast a ballot, here's how I would have done it, all right? Because I've got my picks over here. You know me. I can't stay away from a good all-star selection, but I just can't make them officially anymore. But you're still official, right? I am still official. Um, I kind of nice.
0: appreciate that you're not official so that we don't have to do like the 45-minute breakdown. Because you know, I, I am interested in some of this stuff, um, but I, I would say I'm probably less interested than other members of the basketball media. And so I feel like, you know, we can touch on things that we can touch on the rosters for the first 15 or 20 minutes and then move into our usual nonsense.
1: Yeah, I think in the past we would run into conflicts because you would just be snorkeling into this conversation like, OK, that guy's an all star, that guy's an all star. And I would be <laughs> exactly like, you deep, would have. No, you would have would the exhaustive
0: statistical case there. And they're like presenting various per 36 numbers and this and that. It's like, you know what, man? Just pick 12 players. It's not a huge deal either way.
1: Yeah, so you were the snorkeler and I was like the deep sea scuba diver and we were just (laughs) constantly like run into these philosophical disagreements. I will say because it's not an official vote this year, I might have spent a little bit less time than usual making these picks and I saw a lot of hand wringing from people about how difficult it was and oh my God, this year it's so hard. And I'm wondering, was this just a product of myself maybe not taking it as seriously? Was it really that hard? Did you have that much struggle this year?
0: Well, it was hard in, in one sense. And this is where I found out that you didn't have a vote uh, over the weekend when I texted you looking to commiserate and you said, the the post won't let me vote this year, blah, blah, blah. And um You know, that was disappointing. Okay. I don't miss the exhaustive 45 minute conversation we would have had to have if you did have a vote. But uh, I was looking for someone else who had to make the choice between Paul George, Kevin Durant, and LeBron James, specifically because. It just felt so wrong to choose Paul George over LeBron in the West. And I understand that Paul George has been playing his ass off for the last three months and is arguably one of the five best players in the league this season.
1: It just... Andrew, you weren't calling to commiserate. You were calling for a green light. You wanted to put, <laughs> you wanted to put Paul George over LeBron. You wanted to have a no, star no, starting no. lineup that did not include LeBron James, but you were worried. You wanted to make sure it would be okay from, uh, you know, somebody on the integrity side of the aisle. And let's be honest, what did I say? Go for it. Paul Honestly. George deserves the starting spot over LeBron James.
0: No, I was surprised, and I was looking for just the opposite. I was looking for someone to validate my uneasiness oh. with with trust in playoff P, okay? Because I understand he's <laughs> playing to great. You wanted the red light. Yeah, Like let's take it down a notch. It feels like putting Paul George above LeBron James in any sort of context is probably going a step too far with our Paul George hype this year.
1: But uh, But you wouldn't do it. I'm glad to do it. No, I'm glad to do it because, look, the greatest ability is availability. I say this over and over again. And the difference between the backcourt in the West and the frontcourt in the West is that there was five legit candidates for the frontcourt in the Western Conference. In the backcourt, there was really only two. And so guys like Steph and LeBron missed pretty similar amounts of time. But the gap between their resumes and the rest of the competition was just so much different. Like, I couldn't hold Steph to that accountability standard because... Uh, he's been better when he's been on the court than Damian Lillard by a lot. Like, there wasn't really a conversation there. But when you're looking at LeBron, he's not only going against Paul George. Kevin Durant, to me, has to be a starter. And the fact that he's not an automatic starter for a lot of people, it's it drives so me It's crazy
0: to me that he he's played every Warriors game and has had basically identical numbers to Paul George and is winning more than Paul George has. Granted, like, context sort of complicates that particular story but like durant has been unbelievable
1: he's a better player with better stats on a better team and the fact that he gets snubbed because of the personality stuff and because of like the long slow drain of haters like you over the last couple of years (laughs) kind of piercing his image that's the only thing that keeps him out of an automatic spot it kills me that people were saying oh maybe he's in maybe he's out Uh, but i think the the other conversation was Jokic, davis LeBron. I mean, that's pretty interesting too, right? Because you have the three front court spots and you could make an argument for any of those guys. Ultimately, I settled on Jokic. How did you, what did you do with your third spot? Um, I didn't
0: seriously consider Jokic over Anthony Davis just because I feel like they're in completely different tiers in terms of their talent. And, mm. um, you know...
1: <laughs> Andrew, I, you wrote one international piece that was granted. It was like 9,000 words long. But since then, you have been so anti-Europe I, with no, all of your takes. <laughs> I'm not
0: anti-Europe.
1: <laughs> and by the way, speaking of me being anti-anything,
0: anytime Kevin Durant is brought up... You managed to make me sound like some psychopath who has been hating on him every step of the way for the last three years. All I do is present both sides of the story with KD. KD is great in a lot of ways, and his story well, has been complicated in a lot Andrew, of ways.
1: from the beginning of time, right, from 0 AD to 2016, we all could celebrate finals MVPs. Since Kevin Durant came <laughs> along, you told us finals MVP just don't matter anymore.
0: No, they don't matter when we're criticizing Steph. The amount of people on the internet who bring up finals MVPs in Steph Curry arguments, it's going to drive me insane. It just needs to stop. But anyways, the Jokic point. I don't know, maybe like I'm, I'm higher on the rest of Denver's talent than I think a lot of people are. And I think Jokic has gotten a lot of credit for lifting up the rest of that roster and deserves a lot of credit that's why he's like a a lock to make the all-star game there's no doubt that he's probably the sixth or seventh most deserving guy in the west i just think you know anthony davis is one of the five best players in the nba and and so you know i don't really understand why it has to be that complicated
1: andrew 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 i'm not sure he is he's one of the top five producers in the nba but when we're talking about impacting winning creating an elite offense around him two-way impact play is Anthony Davis really on that top five level to me he's not he's amazing Um, there's no question about it he's a guy that the Lakers and the Celtics and every single one of these guys should chase him but he's not a guaranteed top five talent look his team's well outside the playoff picture yet again he's got some degree of help I've seen some people floating that you know Drew Holiday should also be an all-star this year it's not like Randall and Miritich are complete bums uh you look at what you contrast that environment with what Jokic has cultivated in Denver he's the driving force of the whole thing the offense has been unbelievable their chemistry has been unbelievable his assist numbers are completely off the charts for any seven footer in NBA history the advanced stats are there his resume is rock solid he should be a starter you wasted your vote (laughs) no sorry I can't get there okay and
0: just as an aside, the Anthony Davis truth ring that's going on around the NBA right now it strikes me as something a lot of people are going to regret 12 months from now, okay? Because the Pelicans, I understand the cupboard isn't entirely bare, but it's pretty damn close to being entirely bare, okay? Drew Holiday is good, but let's not overstate quite how good he is. I mean, he's, he's like a borderline all-star, would maybe be an all-star in the East, is is still somebody who ultimately will never matter in the grand scheme of the NBA. And then Nikola Mirotic, the guy shoots 30 to 35%, 90% of the time he's in the NBA. He'll have one hot month each season that leads to people kind of mistakenly thinking that he can be the missing piece. He did, I mean, when he was playing well last year, Anthony Davis looked like the best player in the NBA, which is telling in that it shows you what Anthony Davis can look like when he has the right help. And uh, as far as the All-Star decision, like for me, the tiebreaker always comes down to talent. And I think that Anthony Davis is just better and he should be a starter because I think the All-Star starters should reflect the 10 most talented guys in the league. And so I would put Anthony Davis in there over Jokic and uh the talent breaks the tie. And and Paul George, I, it's it's just tough for me because that that same rationale should apply to Paul George and LeBron. But George has been so good and LeBron has missed close to a month now that like I don't think it's actually a tie between those two when you're comparing their resumes from the past few months. Um, but uh but yeah, the Davis thing, come on. like
1: You don't really believe that he's overrated, do you? I'm not saying he's overrated, but if you think he's a top five player in the NBA this year, I think that you are overrating him. He's very, very good, but we've talked about this before. What drives successful basketball, ball handlers, um, guys who are attracting tons of attention, leading the offense, creating everything for their teammates, that's just not the best thing that he does, right? And so he's incredible and better at what he does well. Uh, than anybody else in the league, but his skills do not align with the most valuable skills in the NBA right now. If you're telling me Harden versus AD, I, I'm taking Harden ten times out. Of I would 10, take Harden too. Not even thinking. Yes, and I would take Harden I, too. That's I'd the like, argument maybe. for Jokic though, because he is the engine of the whole offense, right? And he is making his teammates significantly better every single night. He, it's being constructed around him. You can just look at his assist points created. It's off the charts. This is a guy who's in that same category, even though he's not like a ball-handling guard. He is a lead offensive option.
0: Okay, so what you're saying is that you're rewarding Jokic based on the Nuggets' success this season, and you give Jokic the credit for as how impressive Denver has been.
1: He has got sick statistics. He has amazing advanced statistics. He plays for a winning team. He is a central driver of the winning team. He he leads in elite no, no, no. offense. I understand. I'm, to, he has I'm telling six you statistics. his case. No, no, no. no but these Anthony, are things
0: that, Anthony Davis on. has better statistics across the board when we, when you're comparing
1: him to Jokic. I'll take twenty, ten, and seven on a winner over whatever Anthony Davis's stats are. I know.
0: So you're ultimately this comes down to Denver's success, and I, I have to ask, like, do you really believe in the nuggets? No, it doesn't as only a contender. come down to
1: Denver's No, that's a that's a poor way to frame it. It's wrong because we're looking at the preponderance of the evidence. Well, right? I'm or showing you two every players.
0: <laughs> One player has better numbers, the other player uh, is winning more. Close.
1: Look, Anthony Davis is six point seven RPM jokic is 6.5 rpm that's basically a dead heat and they're both top five level guys one plays for a team that's at the top of the standings the other plays for a team that's well outside the bubble we're looking at health jokic has been more healthy than anthony davis I, i look at assists and and team offensive efficiency that's a stat right we give uh-huh. that to Jokic. I mean, he's got all sorts of things over Davis, and the only thing he doesn't have is the reputation that's been ingrained for four or five years of this amazing top five talent that everybody well, assumes wait Anthony Davis is. God, this drives me insane. I can't believe you're one of those people.
0: I've seen other people out there argue that Jokic is better than Anthony Davis, but I feel betrayed to be sitting no, here no, no, no. on the phone Look, with you having if, you make this no. argument.
1: I'm not saying that one is better than the other in the vacuum. I'm saying based on this 45 or 50 game sample size that we use to pick all stars this year, who has had a more deserving season when it comes down to individual achievement, impact on his team success, team success and health. Those are the factors that I always look at. Jokic has a stronger case all around. He just does. Okay, I disagree. And you're saying he has a stronger case as if it's an objective fact, despite the fact that Davis has better numbers across the board. No, what numbers? I mean, you're just at points, right?
0: No, and per and rebounding and and scoring. I'm sorry, like every almost every metric, Davis is slightly better. It's not a huge deal. We don't need because it again, Jokic has been incredible. I'm not putting down Jokic here. I'm just saying that Anthony Davis is the better player.
1: I don't know. Uh, It's very close. Anthony Davis has been incredible. Uh, His team offense has also been awesome. He's a huge part of it, but I don't think he is as central to his team's success uh, as Jokic has been because the scale of their success is so different.
0: Okay. Well, we can agree to disagree. I broke the tie between those two by giving the nod to Davis. Um, Let's run through the rest of – and by the way, the Anthony Davis stuff, I'm just saying – We should all prepare ourselves, because I had a long conversation with a friend yesterday who was doubting how good Anthony Davis really is and where he belongs in the pecking order of the NBA. I'm just saying that two things could change this summer, where number one, the standard may no longer be the, the Hamptons Five Warriors, and number two, Anthony Davis may land on a team that has real talent around him and plays the right way. And, uh, and This Anthony, is this there's, nonsense
1: there's, argument you used with Russell Westbrook about, oh, he didn't have any talent in Oklahoma City. There's talent in New Orleans. What are, are you Orleans.
0: talking about?
1: No. There are good players in New Orleans. You're just trying to skew it to make Anthony Davis this godlike figure and saying Jokic is playing with all these amazing players. No, That's not true. I, I, what they I'm saying. They were both very similar last year. Anthony Davis's team went farther in last year's playoffs than the Nuggets went. Uh, Jokic is having a better season. Here, here are the only teams with a worse defense than the Pelicans this year. Cleveland, who's not even trying, New York, who's not even trying, and Phoenix, who's not even trying. New Orleans has a 27th-ranked defense, and Anthony Davis is supposed to be a Defensive Player of the Year candidate last year. Come on, man. Some of that is on his shoulders. And you look at Jokic, we know he's not a perfect defender, but he's got Denver— in the middle of the of the pack defensively, even right. though they're playing a tough Western Conference schedule. That counts for stats, too, even though you love to look at PER and scoring and rebounds. Will
0: you pull up the Pelicans roster? I was not prepared for this argument, but pull up the New Orleans roster, okay? I just
1: did. Drew Holiday is better than you gave him credit for. Miritich is better than you gave him credit for. Randall is better than you is gave him Is Miritich
0: for. better on defense than I've given him credit for?
1: No, it's fine. Look, he's not special. I'm just saying that the gap between... <laughs> None
0: of these guys are special. And but Julius Randle is good, so, but he plays the win same a position
1: as Anthony Davis. How'd they win a series last year if they're such bums?
0: Uh, Rondo was a, another capable uh, starter. God. No, seriously. Like they, they had Rondo playing well. Drew Holiday was playing well. Etwan Moore was playing well and Don't has since fallen off the face of the earth. Is that Anthony Davis's fault? perhaps if we're using your rationale I'm um, not
1: blaming him for each one more coming back to earth but come no, on man don't and fall Mirti- for that and was playing
0: narrative. out of his mind for three months and has since regressed to the mean which has ha- happened over and over again throughout his career and my only point is that we're going to turn around 12 months from now and anthony davis is going to be in a better situation and we're going to be blown away by how good he is i think he's he of of anyone in the league, he's the guy who is easiest to take for granted right now. It's, just, it's not a huge deal. We don't need to overstate it, but like, the dude is incredible.
1: I just expect more. If he's a top-five player, his team can't be this bad. I mean, there, there's no way around it.
0: Okay. Um, well, fair enough. So let's run through the rest of the rosters. Do you have your rosters there? I think this is I- we're obligated as NBA writers to list
1: our picks. Uh, I do. And not to like be pedantic, but who are you dislodging from your top five if AD's top five? I mean, no. it's not Steph, LeBron, uh, Harden, I mean, Giannis. I mean, all these guys are better than AD. So I how misspoke is AD in the top there. Five? I misspoke oh, okay. there. Um, so this whole argument was pointless. Well, I'm glad we No,
0: did that. <laughs> the argument started between Anthony Davis and Jokic. Um, I was listing them last night. Let me pull it up. I, I would say. Giannis is probably five and, uh, and Anthony Davis is six and actually better than maybe there's no doubt. Yeah. You know what it is, is Harden is five. Giannis is six. Anthony Davis is seven. Maybe. I don't know. This is not the top 100 podcast, but the bottom line is he's in an elite tier, uh, to which Jokic Jokic has been really good, but he's not quite there.
1: I hear you. I think the bottom line is the gap between Davis and Jokic is smaller than you think it is. That's all. I okay. think that's the bottom line. Well, there you go. Um, Here's my roster. We have no arguments on Courier Harden in the backcourt, right? No way. Okay. So LeBron, obvious bench pick. Um, Anthony Davis for me, obvious bench pick. I'm sure Jokic for you, obvious bench pick. Um, then I had Lillard, Gobert, and Westbrook as kind of like completing my second unit. How about Uh you? Um, I had the same. And then my last two were Carl Anthony Towns, who, I mean, a lot of what I just said about Davis applies to Towns too, and he really frustrates me, but he's a deserving all-star. Okay. And then my my last pick uh, was LaMarcus Aldridge. Interesting. LaMarcus over Luka, huh? Yeah, I think... And I don't want to get, you know, side swiped by the Luca people who are all <laughs> over you right now and deservedly so. He's just not there yet. He's okay. really good. He's really fun. He's not there yet.
0: Well, so this is one where I don't have a real vote because the coaches make these choices. But I put Luca in over oh. LaMarcus Aldridge and over Tobias Harris and Danilo Gallinari and Drew Holiday and all the boring candidates for that 12th spot. It's an all-star game, so if I were making the choice, oh. I would throw Luca in there. I don't think he's one of the 12 best players in the West, but he's close enough to, again, just break the tie and throw the most entertaining guy in there.
1: You're just angling for a 7-Eleven sponsorship down there in Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: well, we'll talk more about Luca along the way, I'm sure. Um, but what about the East? Who'd
1: you have? Um. Well, the hardest decision to me was who should be the second guard in the East because there's one guard. Uh, yeah. There's Kyrie, and if I could have voted, I might have even done a protest vote and just not included a second guard. Um, <laughs> my starting lineup, begrudgingly, was Kyrie Irving, Bradley Beal, Giannis, uh, Kawhi Leonard, and Joel Embiid. Okay. Um, wait, who is who is your second guard? Uh, Bradley Beal. He plays for the Washington Wizards, so he said a- <laughs> He's had a pretty good season since John Wall went down. I mean, it was he. W- it was just a classic, uh, you know, the best of the bad possibilities. I mean, it was him versus Kemba versus, I'm assuming, Ben Simmons, Kyle Lowry. I'm not sure who else could have been in that uh, backcourt designation. But, I mean, to me, I guess the argument is if they just never had Wall the whole season, would Washington's record be better and, you know, Beal's numbers would have been better? The, the and answer it is like-
0: maybe, yeah.
1: Yeah, yes and yes to me. So uh, I guess he sneaks in there. But I wasn't happy about it. And, and like I said, <laughs> I mean, four starters really is who, who who belonged.
0: Well, so it's interesting. On the Beal point, it, I don't work for the Washington Post, but I did have to do some soul searching and an integrity check with myself because I said, I like, I don't want to be the Homer idiot who's out here voting in his hometown hero, Bradley Beal, but I did, I mean, looking at the alternatives, the alternatives were so uninspiring. Ben Simmons,
1: who is- Well, sl- slow down. Let me ask you, though. If Oladipo was healthy the whole year, would yeah. you have him over Bill?
0: Probably based on team success um, to break the tie. Yeah. I, so I, then
1: you don't owe anybody an apology. I think mean, that's completely, like- consistent logically
0: yeah and that's sort of the way i broke it down uh because ben simmons has been really good for the past month or so but was pretty uninspiring to start the season kemba has kind of tailed off so it's got to be beal um the one thing i will say is there are a lot of people who keep complaining about the conference imbalance in terms of all-star selection and saying you know If you're going to, well, sort of, I mean, to me, people saying we need to abandon conferences with the all-star game. I think that is the wrong reform to be pushing for in part, because I think eliminating conferences altogether is probably a change that would have to be collectively bargained somewhere down the line because it like, you know, all-star selections factor into contracts and all sorts of different angles that are sort of, too important to just kind of like unilaterally change one summer. Um, but if you're having these guys pick teams every year, you should at least have a chance to have evenly matched starters. Like if you remember last season, the the end of the all-star game was really cool because you had the 10 best players in the league out there on the floor together Except that one of them was DeMar DeRozan because the coaches were obligated to play the starters. And so you had DeMar out there in the mix and it just like was kind of a weird look at the time. And I feel like that continues this year where we have to include Beal where like if we could just slide Paul George onto the East team, we would have a perfect representation of the 10 best players for the last two months.
1: Man, now you're singing a beautiful tune. I don't know what happened earlier in this podcast. You went off the rails, Andrew, but that was beautiful music <laughs> straight to my, my soul. I love it. Here, here's a, a question for you. Okay. Of your Eastern Conference selections, how many could have made the all-star team in the West? You know, not, not starter or bench. I basically see four. I see Kyrie, Giannis, Kawhi, and Embiid. I'm not sure anybody else on the team makes it uh from the Eastern Conference if they had to be a top twelve guy in the West Wow, and so I think that's where the imbalance you know conversation starts. if I'm looking at like the total pool, you know what's the breakdown you know I probably would have w- rather had you know fourteen maybe fifteen Western Conference players versus nine or ten Eastern Conference players, so it's not like twenty two to two right but it's it's not balanced <laughs> and Well, you're mentioning you're already flirting with this idea of like picking teams, you know, trying to make it a little bit more equitable and so forth. If I could do it, and I understand the contractual stuff that you're laying out. So this might be a long term plan. But if I could do it, the fans and the media, they just vote on the top 10 players, regardless of position, regardless of conferences. The coaches do the exact same thing. The top 14 subs, regardless of positions. Uh, regardless of conferences, you mix them together in one giant bowl of just awesome players. You've got the top 24 guys, and I, I would actually like to see them expand the roster size to 13 to kind of match the normal roster size. So, really, it would be the top 26 guys in the entire league would be on the all star team. Then you can, you know, do your draft or however you want to have it play out. That's what I would like to see.
0: Yeah, and, and I agree with the rationale there with the caveat that, like, I recognize that just abandoning Eastern Conference All-Stars altogether is probably unrealistic, but, like, we can all agree that the the first half of that proposal should be doable. Like, uh, fans, let fans vote on the 10 best players in the NBA. Forget positions, and then just throw those guys out in a pickup setting and
1: let the captains choose the starters from there. Like, that should be really easy. For sure. I answered my own question, though. Would you have four All-Stars from the East and the West, or would you have more or less? I
0: appreciate the framing there, because that really is a a chilling way to underscore the imbalance between East and West. Because, yeah, like I'm looking at it. I don't know, man. I want to say maybe Ben Simmons makes it. Um, Kemba, if he had kept that run in October and November going, would have maybe had a case over someone like Westbrook, but he's tailed off. Blake Griffin, uh, yeah, like, I don't see it. Outside yeah. of those four, it's it's a tough case. Bradley Beal is is playing well enough to have a better case than almost anybody else, but um, it's tough.
1: Yeah, it's a lot different though when you're going against Curry, Harden, and Lillard exactly. spots <laughs> rather than like Kyrie and Kemba. So yeah,
0: um, I would feel okay to- about taking Beal over Westbrook, given how sketchy Westbrook's game has been for most of the season.
1: At the same time, though, if Bill was averaging a triple-double, wouldn't he be the greatest player in Wizards history? I mean, (laughs) like if you just swap his stats with Westbrook, I mean, isn't the narrative completely different? Like, I totally get what you're saying. I mean, Westbrook's shooting numbers are so bad, and, like, they will, you know, cause, you know, it's like bleaching your eyes when you look at them. But he's still doing an awful lot of helpful things on the court, and his team's playing quite well with him when he's on the court. I just couldn't get all the way there. Hey, who are your uh, Eastern Conference reserves? um we'll run through them very
0: quickly i had kemba i had blake griffin ben simmons oladipo kyle lowry eric bledsoe and nikola vucevic
1: so we're very close um i had blake griffin vucevic oladipo kemba ben simmons and then my time my final two spots I was so underwhelmed by the candidates. And this is going back. Everyone's it, was, like, it was
0: really underwhelming. Scraping like the bottom agonizing. of the barrel.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're agonizing over these all-star picks. It's like, okay, like Demonta Sabonis, very cool player. Like sixth man of the year candidate, not an all-star. You right. Know? So like I really, just
0: basically... If Sabonis made the all-star game, it would be kind of a, a blight on the entire event. And, and that's no shots at Sabonis, <laughs> but it would just really be tough for all of us to kind of pretend that this is really an all-star team
1: shades of like Christian Leitner on the dream team. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, The last two spots. So I wanted to reward Toronto and Milwaukee. I felt like they deserved the second rep. I felt a little bit weird with the idea of having two Sixers, but only, you know, one Raptor or one buck. I didn't like the idea at all of putting Jimmy on. Um, I think Zach Lowe, expressed it brilliantly in his column in his podcast about why butler's behavior should have been disqualifying this year as an all-star yeah um so i co signed him completely on that so it basically came down to this hodgepodge of guys like chris middleton kyle lowry pascal siakam and even sergey Baca, who i didn't think got, got enough attention here um and then bledsoe uh, from that group i was looking for two and, and ultimately i settled on uh middleton and lowry and, and going back to kind of trying to adopt the uh you know, the the snorkeling approach rather than the deep sea diving approach. Like Lowry, even though his scoring numbers has, has been way down, he's averaging like nine assists. His real plus minus is off the charts. You know, he is a major engine for what they do. Yeah. Uh, He hasn't been at his best basketball, but it's not like he fell off a cliff. And then with Middleton, uh, you know, he's averaging, you know, 17, six and four on basically the best team in basketball, you know, shooting league average on a bunch of three point attempts and he's a quality defensive player. Like, He's never been awarded before. If he's not going to make it this year, he's never going to make it. So I feel like those two guys um, you know, have very strong overall cases. And the Middleton versus Bledsoe question is really interesting. Uh, Bledsoe has an argument based on you know, his superior defensive ability this season. Uh, yeah. He's just really been locked in. He's having a very nice contract year. But I just go back to like, who would they struggle with more if they didn't have uh, that player in Milwaukee And I just think Middleton is ultimately more all around valuable to what they do than Bledsoe.
0: So I agree. um, If you're looking at their value in a vacuum, that's a great way to frame it. And and I think that Middleton is more important to where they want to go. I think if you're looking at the last four months and who should be rewarded based on what they've done and their body of work, I think Bledsoe has been really, really impressive. I wrote about him last week um, and it's funny, man. As I was writing that piece, because I talked to him in Houston, and then I caught up with them again in, in Washington, and like people around that team, both talking to fans and talking to people around the Bucks themselves, are kind of blown away by by how good Bledsoe has been.
1: And um, well, Andrew, don't you think that's like the found gold phenomenon, where he was so bad in the playoffs, and it was like totally like what does this mean for next year? And now he comes out and has a career year. I mean, not his best stats ever. But his best overall season, I think.
0: Yeah, and you know, like Coach Bud is not the type of dude who's given to hyperbole, but he was sitting there talking about like, "Look, I trust Bledsoe on defense more than any defensive player I've ever coached. He's just so gifted, and he's basically allowed to kind of like freestyle out there, and um, and he's done such a great job for basic. uh, I, I believe Milwaukee still has the best defense in the league. I don't know where the what the ratings are right now, but like they're top 3 regardless. And uh and I think if, for that reason he he deserves the nod over Middleton. Um but now we are really <laughs> treading into like deep NBA nerd territory where I I can't imagine more than like 10% of our audience actually cares about the distinction between Bledsoe and Middleton.
1: Well, you know what we should do? We we should just screw with the uh with the raptors fans you know the termites let's, let's, <laughs> two bucks let's say middleton is in let's say bledsoe is in lowry's out siakam's out ibaka's out maybe <laughs> maybe we'll give you guys uh Kawhi as just a generous donation for the all-star team but let's just load it up with milwaukee the story of the year
0: there you go great solution uh tough shit toronto
1: sorry let's keep it moving though well, can, can I just say, what you mentioned about Bud's comment, yeah. that's no faint praise. I mean, exactly. this guy's Millsap, Horford. He's been around the Spurs guys who tons of great defensive players You know, back in those days. That's no joke, and that, that raised my eyebrows when you said that.
0: Well, it, and you talk to guys like Brooke Lopez was pretty effusive talking about what Bledsoe has meant to them, and, and Malcolm Brogdon, the same thing. Like, They all just really like him, and uh, the, the interesting question is, you know, how much do you really trust him in the playoffs, both to A, stay healthy, B, sustain the the defensive impact, and then C, like, he's shooting 30% from three, and that – is something that you can get away with in the regular season. And in a seven game series, it might become a little dicier. So but
1: it, Andrew, you don't even have to sweat it. Cause you got Middleton shooting 60% of the playoffs. <laughs> there you go. You're, it's it's going to be fine. The Bucks are going to be fine. Uh, all right, let's keep it moving. But
0: first Ben, today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn. The right hire can make a huge impact on your business. That's why it's so important to find the right person. But where do you find that individual? You can post a job on a job board and hope the right person will find your job, but think about it. How often do you hang out on job boards? Don't leave finding someone great to chance when you can post your job to a place where people go every day to make connections, grow in their career, and discover new job opportunities. Ben, tell me more about LinkedIn.
1: Well, first of all, I never hang out on job boards. I can tell you that for a fact. Second of all, Andrew, LinkedIn was asking, When's a time that a great hire made a huge impact on our workplace? I could tell you this. When you snuck me in the side door as co-host of The Open Floor, basically just <laughs> a- appointed me co-host without even asking, I would say that made a big difference in my life, and it certainly made a big difference in your life. Now, imagine if you had just made a simple reach-out request through LinkedIn and said, hey, man. I'm ready to formalize this partnership. Let's do a podcast. It would have been so much smoother, so much less hurt feelings. You wouldn't have been upset in Toronto when I allegedly blew you off. It would have just been a nice, <laughs> seamless synergy of podcasting excellence.
0: That's right. I was stressing out. I was like, I don't know who who to trust here, who I should invest in. And then see, had I gone to LinkedIn, it would have been a very simple process. You were clearly the most qualified candidate I think ultimately what sets you apart is that somebody said you were pretty funny in a mean kind of way. And so I was intrigued by what that meant. Um, Let's be honest. But yes, I was
1: available. That was the only quality that I had. <laughs> but Andrew, if you go to LinkedIn.com slash floor, you can get $50 off your first job post. That's right. LinkedIn.com slash floor to get a $50 coupon off your first job post, LinkedIn.com slash floor. And of course, as you know, Andrew... Terms and conditions apply, like always. Always, always. LinkedIn.com slash floor. All right, let's get back to it. Well, look at us backdooring our way into a half an hour of all-star talk when we <laughs> thought it would be quick. Uh, no, just the last one to tie this conversation off. Who's your biggest snub? Like, who did you feel the worst in either conference leaving out um, of this year's picks? Um,
0: I felt bad choosing... All those Eastern Conference players who aren't that great over Al Horford, uh, but Horford has has struggled at various points. Um, but he's starting to get his game back, and the Celtics are starting to look great again as a result. And then, you know, I snubbed someone like LaMarcus Aldridge, um, Drew Holiday, Tobias Harris has been great for the Clippers and probably deserves to make it in. But, like, I, I don't feel passionately one way or another about those guys.
1: Um, this is not a case of recency bias. Cause I just watched him score 44 points on Sunday night over the, or Monday night over the Lakers. Uh-huh. I felt really bad about snubbing clay Thompson. I mean, this Don't guy's feel bad about that. No way, dude. He's averaging 22 points. He would be starting for the Eastern conference backcourt. He's shooting 38% on more than seven threes per game. That's not his usual standard. But that's still really good. No solid defensively. Thing driving factor for an unbelievable team still does not allow his ego to get in the way of their success. Clay does everything right. He should be getting the uh the kind of like the trickle down awards like he has in previous years because he's such an important part of what they do. And the fact that he hasn't even really been in a lot of conversations this year, it bugs me a little bit. He that was the hardest snub for me. I mean, I guess so. I love Clay. Uh, and so, no shots at
0: him, but he just has not been very good for most of this season. And I, I think it speaks to how incredible his good games have been because, like, when he's on, he's so hot that it skews his entire season's numbers. And suddenly, he looks like an all star. But, like, most nights in Golden State this year, he has not been playing at an all star level.
1: I mean, if you look at his stats, very similar to the last four years when he was an all-star. He's still incredible. I understand there's some volatility there. I think some of that is attributed to sort of how they play at the time they didn't have Steph. Uh, but to me, like, would I rather have Klay Thompson or Bradley Beal? There's no question. I'd rather have Klay Thompson. Well, yeah. Go right down the list with the other Eastern Conference guards. And so if anyone's kind of getting the short end of the stick here in terms of con- contribution to winning, two-way play... Um, amazing scoring outbursts, you know all the things that you know usually get rewarded here in all-star voting. Uh, I think it's Clay Thompson.
0: You know how I know that Clay has been relatively underwhelming by his standards this year is he was a member of Team Sharp, my fantasy team, and and actually is a member three and four years running. Uh, I don't know exactly how long I've had him, but he's basically on my team every year, and this season. There have been a lot of five for 16 one for seven from three nights for clay and um, he's still amazing and he's not someone I would ever bet against in like a high pressure setting uh, but he's just he's it's been it's been an uneven year
1: no I hear you it hasn't been his best year but again like that's a victim of expectations right because his standard has been so high here over the last couple of years you know one of the three greatest shooters of all time yeah. is what we expect from him and so yes he's not to that level but he's still really, really good. And compared to a lot of the guys who are going to be in there, he's more deserving. Okay. Well, um, I love Clay enough so that I will buy
0: any case you want to make with him. (laughs) Throw him in the All-Star game. Forget Luka and forget LaMarcus Aldridge. Put Clay in there. Um, Moving on, though, Brian says, Did the LA Rams tainted victory over the Saints in the NFC Championship game this weekend? cost the lakers any possible chance at acquiring anthony davis of course the answer is yes i just wanted to make sure you guys realize what's happening here it's a low-key huge factor thanks to gail benson's massive interest in football and relative ambivalence
1: toward basketball ben what do you think I boycotted uh, the NFL as always, so I don't have strong (laughs) takes. What do you think? Well, first of all, I can confirm
0: this because I was watching Patriots Chiefs and you were texting me about Wolves' sons on Sunday night. So you were in deep. Um, No, I think it's a great point. I think, again, we need to be very clear. The Lakers are not going to be able to trade for Anthony Davis because there's no way the people in New Orleans are going to ever – consider trading him to LA. Um, so that, that's my stance on it. And I think more people are beginning to realize how far fetched that is just because LA is not going to be able to trump any other offers. And, uh, if all things are being equal, um, (laughs) the, the Lakers are getting screwed. So, but I like the idea of factoring in the NFC title game. The reason I wouldn't factor it in here quite as much as Brian has is like, I don't know if even people who are in the business of the NFL like, really associate the Rams with Los Angeles yet. Like, I, I don't really buy it. Um, they're just kind of this team playing in no man's land. Like I don't know anyone from Los Angeles who cares about the Rams. And so I don't know if Gail Benson would, would hold a grudge for this reason. But I, I still think they're going to be looking to screw everyone in L.A.
1: Yeah, those videos of the Rams fans, quote unquote, celebrating uh, the win, where they're like they're in the bar and like no one's really <laughs> reacting. It was pretty I, great. <laughs> I, I can't confirm that that's representative, but when I was walking around my bird park, Andrew, I didn't hear anybody, you know, celebrating. It was pretty quiet out there. All I could hear was the, was the uh, you know fluttering wings of hawks and so forth. I mean, it was it was pretty subdued, uh, so, well, mellow reaction. But slow down here, because according to your theory, the Lakers now can't get Anthony Davis. So let me get this straight. You're not a Boston sports fan, but the Pats are going to win the Super Bowl and the Celtics are going to get Anthony Davis, according to your theories, right? Uh,
0: I never said the Pats are going to win the Super Bowl, but it does kind of feel like that. And, um, you know, Tom Brady is the greatest football player who has ever lived. I just don't need any more proof. I think that's why I resent the Patriots at this point in my life. It's like we've been living the same story for like 20 years now, and even if you want to take like the last five or six years, the Patriots have been cheating death and, and people have been writing them off. And then Tom Brady comes back and looks incredible. Like after the 28 to three Super Bowl, we didn't need any more evidence and it would be nice if they would just move on. Um, but no, I'm not Mr. Masshole here. I, I don't know where Anthony Davis is going to end up. I just have a feeling
1: that uh, it won't be LA. Well, if, they do trade him to someone that's not the lakers we need the gail benson press release i mean that that part 100% we need like, we need her to go dan gilbert you know maybe not like as angry as like you know calling lebron like a traitor and all that stuff but we do need some shots at los angeles and you and know the what referees i would respect
0: her forever if she did mention nfl
1: officiating as she was like explaining
0: oh, she, her how how she screwed Magic iconic. Johnson.
1: Yeah, it would be they great. Get, they give her a statue downtown New Orleans if she did that. That would be incredible. Let me
0: ask you, though, okay? Uh, you jumped on the Dodgers bandwagon this past October in one of the most shameless moves I've ever seen from you. Are you going to be jumping on the Rams bandwagon before the Super Bowl?
1: Nope. And look, it wasn't last year. I've actually been on the Dodgers bandwagon for a couple years now. It's great. I mean, because people really do care about the Dodgers here in LA. Right. So like they do, it's pretty surprising actually. It's always happening everywhere you go. And it's kind of the same deal with the Lakers, Um, the Rams. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just in like some weird part near (laughs) the beach where like people are surfing or like, you know, taking nice, you know, dog walks or so forth. But I just don't hear a lot of Ram stock. I don't see the gear. Uh, mm-hmm. My only experience with the Rams is watching Hard Knocks from a couple of years ago. Needless to say, that team wasn't quite ready to win the Super Bowl uh, based on uh, Jeff Fisher as their coach. So, um, I it's just off my radar. I don't know why you're asking me these questions. I'm really hoping <laughs> that we can just move on. But yes, no one cares about the Rams. If that's what you want me to say, I'm glad to say it because I don't care about
0: them. Well, Rams. there you go. We got two minutes of football takes in there for everyone out there. Um, Moving on, Luke says, the Warriors have to stay healthy, but mentioning another title contender seems pretty useless at this point, doesn't it? When chatting with other NBA writers and analysts, is the talk that the Warriors are just going to sleepwalk through to another
1: title? What do you think, Ben? So I saw them play twice over the weekend. They they blitzed the Clippers in DeMarcus's debut, and there was like real genuine... Uh, positive energy, joy, whatever you want to call it, from the entire Warriors organization around Cousins. Mm-hmm. And then they absolutely just drop-kicked the Lakers. Well, what's left of the Lakers with the injuries uh, on Monday night? Mind-blowing performances. The whole time watching both games, I was just thinking, this is what I meant on the podcast, Andrew, when they would be able to take down an Eastern Conference Dream Team no problem in the finals because... <laughs> The chemistry is just incredible, you know, because some of these guys have played together for years and years now. Even KD has completely been, um, you know, brought into their system. He knows exactly what to do. And with Cousins... Not only does their system make life easier for him, but it also really shows his talent. And when you're watching this team play, and it's like Clay kicks it to DeMarcus, who kicks it out to Steph, who swings it to KD, who swings it to Draymond, who collapses the defense, it's like they're just picking between great shots. Yeah. They're never really having to like settle in, in any meaningful way. And there was one play, just kind of a toss-away play in the Lakers game, where you know, they, they throw an outlet pass to his streaking cousins. And granted, he's not streaking full speed because the lift is really not there. And the end to end speed is not there. Mm-hmm. But he, he does actually have a, quite a bit of agility and balance, like more than I expected at this well, point of his recovery. And he's
0: playing hard and running the floor hard, even though it's not very fast. Like Chris Webber during the broadcast was like, there you see it. Boogie can really move down the floor. I was like. I just watched that, and he didn't look that fleet out there, but he's working hard, which is like half the battle.
1: There's no doubt he's working hard. So they hit him on this outlet pass, right? He catches it, takes a dribble, he's contorting his body, he rebalances himself in the air, and he finishes the soft-touch layup, basically going his version of full speed, right? And yeah. you just watch like the level of athleticism needed to make that play happen, and you just think like, how many times would Kevon Looney have to try to do that before he got it right? Like, how many times did we see JaVale McGee just, like, space cadet possessions away in the past? Or Festus Azili jumping all over the court, fouling when he wasn't supposed to do it? And you just realize that this Warriors team has been playing with, like, an uh, a weight on its ankle at that center position for, like, the last two or three years, right? Yeah. And they do it during the regular season, then obviously during the playoffs when it matters, they go to the death lineup. But now they don't have that ankle weight anymore. Cousins is not that level of a liability. He's an incredibly talented player. His shot looks pretty good. Uh, he can draw fouls. He moves the basketball. He is totally invested and bought in. I think the peer pressure from guys like Steph and KD and the culture that Kerr has created, like to me, he looks bought in. He realizes this is a great opportunity for him to win and to also get a payday next summer. Yeah. And I don't see how anybody beats them well I, I I just don't
0: additionally, what I would say is um you know, we mentioned it last week talking about what boogie could do in Golden State and already the second units where it's clay and Draymond and boogie like that's gonna be a really tough second unit to deal with because boogie can can pass like you said, he could also set screens for clay and he can kind of be that center of the offense that everyone orbits around and that's going to make them really hard to guard and it's and much harder to guard than some of those second units where clay would be out there kind of freewheeling on his own and uh and hasn't looked as great this season but now i don't know man i don't know what you do and so to answer luke's question i do think that so long as steph curry is healthy um it's like no doubt that the warriors are going to win the title i think the better question is how convincingly or how emphatically they could do it i would love to see them go punctuate this entire era with like a 16 and 0 run through the playoffs um that's that's probably a taller
1: order but no that's on the table i mean look if they really lock in and want to do it i exactly. think it's within their reach i mean and it would be appropriate
0: should... like that that's at at some point i want them to do it because they should have some record that reflects just how wide the gap is between them and everyone else in the NBA at this point. And, and if, if that's kind of like their encore performance or, or their, their finale, uh, it would be great because then I think I do kind of see all of this ending this summer, um, but they should go out with a bang.
1: Yeah, and they have five All-Stars in their starting lineup, so they shouldn't lose. Like That's the other part of it, too. Like Not only would it be appropriate, but that is the new bar. I mean, if you guys have accumulated this much talent, that's the expectation. (laughs) We can't even Uh, call
0: that the bar because it's so completely unrealistic for anyone else. It shouldn't be any kind of standard that anyone is measured against. This is just sort of like a historical fluke that we're never going to see again, and we should enjoy uh, how weird and crazy the next four months get.
1: I kind of disagree. I think they've earned that bar. I I mean, I don't think it's like nuts to even say. Like, I was thinking about this. Like, who was the fifth best player in like Jordan's best lineups, right? Like, that player was not very good. Now, Cousins or Draymond is the fifth best player on the court. So, even if you're saying, okay, like 96 Bulls uh, versus like 2019 Warriors, well, I mean, the talent gap is no longer just like who has the best big three. It's now a best big three versus your big five. I mean, I don't think anybody can really go five to five if cousins was fully healthy and and maybe he'll get there by the playoffs. Probably not, uh, with this group. It's just ridiculous.
0: Yeah. Well, we also got a lot of angry emails taking Ben to task, for his uh, his take that the Warriors could beat any five players from okay. the Eastern Conference, no, it's no, no, time no. for you to we're come no, clean. No, we're it's not time gonna... for you to
1: come clean. No, real quick though, it's time for you to come clean because you agree with me. I know you do. You you started off calling it reckless. It is the reckless. Idea, I ger- don't agree with I, you, dude. I do, I but do not agree with it you. in your head. I admire. Over the
0: week. I admire the take, and I admire. This as the final frontier of your Western Conference elitism and just the audacity it takes to make that claim. But look, hold on, Ky- Kyrie, Bradley Beal, Kawhi Leonard, Giannis, <laughs> and Embiid, I-, I picked them against the Warriors. I'm sorry. Okay,
1: slow down. Who has the best player in that series? The Warriors or the East? The Warriors. Who has the second best player in that series? The Warriors or the East? um it, it's the warriors it's steph or katie don't try to give me this <laughs> it's the warriors who has the top three shooters in that series
0: well the okay that's or the East? a convenient way to to shift the conversation because the no,
1: best things that third through seventh or eighth best players are all on the other team so these are things that matter in postseason basketball so they have the best two players they have the best three shooters they have the best all-around playoff defender In Draymond Green, they have a superior chemistry. They have a much better coaching. If we're talking defenders, culture,
0: wouldn't you rather have Giannis and Kawhi on your team as far as defense is concerned, and a beat for that matter, than Draymond?
1: I'll take Draymond and KD in the playoffs when they crank it up over those two. No question. All right, because they've done it before in the playoffs. I mean, we've seen KD play at a very high level in the postseason on the defensive end. And the main main difference between those two teams, it's the buy-in. It's the culture. You know, we freak out when Golden State (laughs) has one little tiff, All right, We're also now
0: freaking out after two weeks of good Warriors games, okay? Let's not go overboard praising the Golden State culture. It's been a mess over the last year and a
1: half. Get out of here. Like, we haven't had four or five years of this being the best culture we've seen this side of the Spurs. Come on. I'm just saying, if we are going to (laughs) overanalyze...
0: Some of the stories from last year did not Sound like the greatest culture on earth. Let's put it that way.
1: Yeah, it costs them one playoff game, right? Um look, if we're gonna overanalyze KD versus Draymond one tiff, how many tiffs do you think are gonna develop when Kyrie, Giannis, Kawhi, and Embiid all want the basketball in the first quarter? How's that gonna go?
0: Yeah. It's it's a fair point. You know, maybe you need kind of a, a, a more boring point guard to, to hold it all together, whether that's Kyle Lowry or I mean, Eric. Bledsoe. Your guy, Bradley,
1: <laughs> your guy, Bradley Beal is not going to be an alpha option. Andrew, he's going to be in witness protection. He's never even going <laughs> to see the ball.
0: Remember when I said five Bradley Beals could beat the Warriors? I don't know. This is the way we're going to pass the time during the Warriors era. It's just stupid hypotheticals that make everyone a little bit dumber.
1: That's fine, but I just don't think it's that stupid or that crazy. I think there's something real there. I mean, these guys put up 45 points in the third quarter. Clay's getting every single open shot he could possibly want. Katie's going in for uncontested dunk. I mean, Steph had one of the worst games I've ever seen him play in person. Yeah, uh, and they still scored. They didn't even have to play their guys in the fourth quarter because they were up <laughs> by 35 points. Well, I, I respect mean, Steph you. Was horrible. I
0: respect your refusal to back down.
1: Don't let the emailers bully you into submission. Um, thank you for that. Well, look message to the emailers get on my level (laughs) Uh, appreciate what these warriors are doing yeah west coast Golliver. um justin says
0: do you guys think the league went too far in flattening the lottery odds finishing with the worst record used to assure you of a top four pick and a great shot at one or two now in a two to three player draft Finishing with the worst record comes with a 60% chance of drafting at 4 or 5. Even in the hypothetical Mavs scenario that Gulliver mentioned on the last podcast, where they go all out to get into the bottom 5 and get Luka a second superstar, the odds still likely favor them falling back and losing their pick. So... It's a good point, and it's a topic that has been under-discussed for most of this year. Um,
1: no, it's a great point.
0: So, what do you think? I, it's a it's a tricky subject, and Justin is a Cavs fan, uh, who I know from the internet,
1: so he's obviously biased, but I'm curious for your thoughts, Ben. Well, I wouldn't have changed it in the first place. I didn't think it was that broken. I mean, it, it hasn't stopped teams tanking, has it? No. No. Are, are we going to pretend that some of these teams are not tanking? It sure looks like they're tanking.
0: Well, so here's the thing. I think that the league would argue that it, the impact won't be realized until a couple years from now when teams begin to appreciate what the lo- what the odds really are and, uh, and the incentives begin to change. So it, it, in the NBA's defense, I think this it's going to take four or five years to see what kind of changes actually materialize here.
1: I guess so much of this is going to come down to who actually gets Zion, right? Because that's a huge pick. And that's like the kind of pick where there will be conspiracy theories about it. Like basically no matter what. Mm -hmm. And if some random team kind of beats the odds because the odds are a little bit better to grab Zion. Yeah. I think there'll be some people who are really, really outraged. Now, if one of the worst teams gets him, then maybe it won't be that big of a deal. Um, I don't know. I just I didn't think it was broken. I understood why they kind of fixed it. I don't I don't feel passionately about it either way because to me the same teams that were going to tank are still tanking.
0: Yeah. And you know, the reason I hated this reform when it initially passed was because I didn't think it was going to stop teams from tanking because at a certain point even for smart organizations Tanking is clearly the best option for the future. Um, You know, at at a very at various points in a team's life cycle, like the Grizzlies have been pretty smart, but they would be best served to kind of tear it down at this point. Everyone can see where things are headed in Memphis, and uh, it looks like that's probably what they're going to do, whether they want to or not. But especially for small markets, like removing the the draft and removing tanking as a viable option, like, you you remove one of the better blueprints for rebuilding, and then to what end, you know? like Because you're still going to have a group of five or six horrendous teams at the bottom of the league, and I'm not sure what the league was really trying to accomplish, or what they thought they were going to accomplish, because there are always going to be bad teams that nobody wants to watch. So, I say all that, <laughs> to say that that's how I felt last year when this was passed. And now, at the risk of being a greased pig, and really this is where it's important to note that sometimes you're just allowed to change your mind, I kind of like the nuance. And I, I, with apologies to Justin and Cavs fans everywhere and Bulls fans and Knicks fans, I like the idea of throwing the bottom of the league into chaos. And I do think that in in a certain sense... This is gonna incentivize teams to just to just play and not necessarily tank and, and try to scheme their way into top three picks. And um, it probably won't matter this year because some of these teams like were tanking just because they were always gonna be tanking. But like what I like about this is that the, the Hawks can win seven of eight in December and January without the whole world looking at them being like, what the hell are you doing? Lloyd Pierce, are you kidding me? And like, they're not really mortgaging their future by succeeding in the short term, which I think is part of what the NBA was trying to accomplish. And so because of that and because of the chaos factor, I kind of enjoy the new system.
1: Nice. Well, that's a very interesting take, and congratulations for changing your mind. That one didn't even really bother me because there was... <laughs> There was logic behind it. So what you're basically doing is you're drawing a distinction between like the worst of the worst tankers and then maybe the second tier tankers where now because the incentives aren't quite so high to get all the way to the bottom, teams that are in that Atlanta mold um, have some reason to try to win. I guess what we need to see play out though is we need to see those teams capable of rising the standings in the standings gradually over the course of multiple years yeah. through a more a more organic build as their young prospects you know get older as they're able to kind of add other pieces around them. Because otherwise I just wonder is a team like Atlanta, you know, doomed to kind of trap be trapped in that tenth or eleventh spot in the uh the Eastern Conference, similar to like an Orlando Magic, because they just never get enough top-end talent to really boost their way out of it. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does make sense. But I would say that part of what I like about this is that Atlanta could finish with this sixth-worst record or the seventh-worst record and still land in the top three or still land at number one. Again, the Hawks need to get Zion. That's the best-case scenario for everybody. But additionally, I think that what what I really like is that you're no longer incentivizing teams to just set their infrastructure on fire and be like, screw it. It doesn't matter that no one here knows how to play basketball or cares about coaching or cares about winning because that's kind of what the Cavs have done. I mean, they fired Ty Lue like 10 days into the season and we're just like, whatever, this season doesn't matter anyways. And I think that by rewarding an organization like Atlanta, like it's healthier for the league – to have the best players end up uh, in in situations that actually have a real
1: infrastructure and um... no, it's uh, it's better for lo- local fan bases. Like if you're paying for tickets to go to Hawks games, you'd rather at least see them try and win every once in a while than. Be burning it down in January. Well, there's no doubt. And think about Zion. I'm just like
0: if- I would rather have Zion land in a, with a team that actually knows what they're doing and has proven they have some idea of how they want to build a basketball team. Whether it's Memphis, whether it's Atlanta, whether it's uh, <laughs> I can't give too much credit to some of these other teams in the lottery. Whether it's like Phoenix or Orlando or Cleveland or Chicago, but like I, I, it, the idea of a team in the 6th through 12th spot in the bottom of the league winning the lottery is actually pretty exciting to me.
1: Yeah, I hear you, but to me it kind of feels like maybe we're just putting lipstick on some of these pigs and that we can't really control where these talents are going to go. So they could still go to the outright tankers, and some years they will go to the outright tankers, so that's still going to be rewarded, and some years they might not. But if they go to teams that are in that second-tier category that you're describing again – that team has to almost repeat the whole process to really build a core, right? And so I just worry whether these um, the long term implications of this change is really going to wind up boosting any of these teams out of their current predicaments or not, because we still have the same fundamental problem, which is there's not enough young high level talent to save every team at the bottom, right?
0: Yeah, and you know the the best reason to hate the reform is to to look at small markets and say, look. If you're not going to give us a chance to land in the top three and, and to strategize our way into a franchise changing talent, we're definitely not going to get those guys in free agency. So we're completely screwed here. And we are now beholden to a system that is going to give us at best like a 12% chance at a generational talent every year. And Totally. And, so
1: if you're Orlando, you're trying to win. New York lands the number one pick because they've been tanking. They get Zion, then they sign KD. You know, yeah. And then you're still you're still Orlando, and you're like, what was the point of this? Why did we even try to win? But
0: the whole point of the reform is to is to flatten those odds to at least say, all right, well, if if Orlando's trying to win, they're not going to be completely screwed. Um, and if Orlando's trying to lose or well, I don't know if Orlando's trying to lose it, it, Orlando has screwed up trying to lose for, for eight years. So I don't feel bad for them whatsoever, but, um, but it, it is, I mean, that's the other side of the coin is that the small markets have a real legitimate beef with some of this. I just think ultimately the, the whole league is going to be better off if you're not incentivizing teams to just tear it all down. And I think that's where we've been to some degree where like, you could make a case that the smartest strategy would be to just go lose 70 games and it would be better for everyone in the long run. Uh, which is why, you know, what Philly did. Uh, and, and I think what the NBA was trying to do was to remove that as the quote unquote smart option. And I think in that, in that sense, they've succeeded. And I understand why a handful of teams will be royally pissed off about this, but, uh, Ultimately, yeah. the chaos this this May, whenever the lottery is held, is going to be pretty fun for teams that aren't Cleveland or Phoenix. But like Phoenix doesn't deserve another top three pick, you know. Like I, I have no problem not rewarding a couple of these teams.
1: Yeah, but I mean, what's the difference between this year's Cavs and the and the Sixers from a few years ago? I don't see a huge difference there. The Suns. I mean, I was watching their game like you mentioned on Sunday the number of mental mistakes that they made in a single game, they make more mental mistakes in a game than a top level team will make in two months. I mean, it's just a a disaster. So no, they don't deserve another top level player, but they could still get him under this system. And so I guess when I look at it, the biggest difference I see, it's a cosmetic change. There's fewer completely wasteful tank ball type games where both teams are trying to like actively lose, right? We've we've had fewer of those early in this season. That was a huge problem these last couple of years. Um but I still think there's lots of teams out there who are now going to be looking around saying like what is our path to get better? Yeah. For the Orlando Magic, we can't sign anybody. We, don't, we can't really trade for anybody. Now we can't tank for somebody. We have to go into the lottery and just pray and cross our fingers well, and hope we get a player. And so that's going to be the tough. ultimate test.
0: I think ultimately the reform will succeed or fail a couple years from now when we look around and, and teams like the Cavs or teams like this year's Cavs have to make the call like, all right, so there's no path for us to contend right now. And the odds are not in our favor if we finish with the worst record in the league, but that's still the most viable option for us. So we're going to continue to tank anyways. And if that's how it plays out, which it might, then the reform absolutely is cosmetic. And,
1: um, and so let me ask you if you're Adam silver and you are genuine about your goals with this whole framework, like what's the best place that Zion lands given how this season has played out. And what's the worst way it lands? Like, What's the biggest like public relations win versus what's the biggest public relations loss? Cause to me, like, if New York just never brings Porzingis back, yeah. they're trotting out all these rookie lineups. It's a big market franchise that's going to be competing for free agents. <laughs> if they get Zion in this year of like the rejiggered lottery, isn't that like I mean, it should be a great day for Adam exactly. Silver. Exactly. Like, hey, it's it's going to be pretty interesting
0: <laughs> because it would be such a big win for the NBA to have Zion in New York or even Chicago. Um, and yet it would be such a strike against this lottery reform and this whole like PR campaign that the NBA has been trying to wage. Um, I don't know. I, I think that... The, I like, I hate to say it. He would have to
1: fake being mad so hard. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, wouldn't he have to come out and look all grim, and then like behind the scenes, he's just like chuckling and <laughs> laughing? like, We did it. Yeah.
0: Because it uh, maybe the NBA just had to look as if they were trying to do something to to stop tanking, um, and maybe that's for like gambling purposes or whatever. Um, and so maybe it, it really was just sort of like a cosmetic thing, and the NBA would still be thrilled to have the Bulls or the Knicks win it. Um, um the Cavs winning after some of the games that they have played this year would look pretty bad for the <laughs> NBA. <laughs>
1: but that would probably be the worst. Uh, but Knicks would be right up there. Hold
0: on. I'm on Tankathon right now. Let's sim the lottery to see just how random this really is. Okay, so there you go. Orlando finishes first, the Knicks oh. finish second, and the Knicks have the second worst record in the league. The Mavs, Luka Dodgich's Dallas Mavericks finish with the third pick. Uh, The Hawks get four. The Cavs get screwed. I apologize, Justin, uh, and finish fifth. And then the Suns get six. They slide down three spots. The Cavs would be sliding down four spots in that scenario. Yeah, I can understand why fans would be pissed off by that, having to sit through 65 or 70 losses and and end up with a fifth pick. That's rough.
1: Yeah, those Cavs fans might be thinking, enough Rodney Hood, it's time to request fan amnesty, like we mentioned on the last (laughs) podcast. Andrew, I know we got like dozens of applications on the fan amnesty from fan bases uh, all across the country and fans located all around the world. So let's go ahead and tease that for the next episode. We're going to dig in deep to everybody's fan amnesty requests. We're going to be laying down our verdict on who can give up on their favorite teams and go in search of another team. If you want to get in on that fun, go ahead and email us. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com. And don't forget, Andrew, there's another way to participate with the show. It's called The Lantern. Oh, God. Three of by Graham. We can't so do sure The Lantern
0: follow... and Fan
1: Amnesty on Friday, but sure. Follow Ben on Instagram. Ben.golliver on Instagram. Th- thank you. Couldn't have said it better myself. Check us out <laughs> on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words, find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review, tap five stars. It's just that easy. It really helps us spread the word. And also, Andrew, don't forget, we're on the world famous radio.com slash open floor. Check us out there. Hey, Andrew, until later this week, I'll talk to you. All right, man. Take it easy.